4. Could going back and forth through the nose and the throat keeps them from doing their work properly. It is very bad for little children even to smell tobacco smoke. It seems in some way to keep them from growing as they would in clear fresh air. What a silly habit smoking is. It does no one any good. It hurts not only the people who make the smoke, but the people who have to smell it. Most of the people who smoke tobacco have to learn to like it. It almost always makes them very sick when they first begin. Sir Walter Raleigh, or the men he sent to America, first taught our great-great-great-grandfathers to smoke. His men bought tobacco of the Indians here and took it back to England, and Sir Walter himself learned to smoke and made smoking fashionable. The first time that Sir Walter's servant saw him smoking, he thought his master was on fire, so what did he do but bring a big bucket of water and throw it all over him. I wish that that bucket of water had settled the matter, so that Sir Walter had stopped smoking and had never taught anyone else to smoke. If it had, think how much money might have been put to better use. For smoking is a very costly habit, and it is not only wasteful of money, but, worse still, of health, for it is the cause of a great deal of poor health and disease. Remember that you want the air you breathe perfectly fresh and clean and not spoiled and poisoned by tobacco smoke. VII. Talking and reciting when I was little and playing with my brothers, I did not always do what they wanted, so they'd sometimes say, We'll put him in Coventry, then he'll do it. They did not really put me anywhere. They simply would not speak to me or answer anything I said. It was just as if I were entirely alone. Of course it was a quick way to make me ready to take my part in the game again. How do you think you would feel if you never, never could speak to anyone, and no one could speak to you? What a quiet world we'd have. Almost every day I meet a boy who can't hear and can't speak. How does he ask for things? He makes letters and spells words with his fingers and his friends watch his fingers and read what he says. Is that the way you do? Mumber indeed. You say, I talk. What do you talk with? I talk with my mouth. Yes, that's true enough, but if you did not use something besides your mouth, you'd never make a sound. Where does the sound come from? Feel gently with your finger and thumb along the front of your neck. Do you find something harder than the rest of your throat? That is the large tube called your windpipe. Do you feel a ridge sticking out from this? Now sing or talk a little. You can feel the ridge move up and down. And the sound thrill in it. That is where the sound comes from. That is your voice and music box. Or larynx. You have seen the little red rubber balloons. Haven't you? You blow into them until they are big and round. And then, when you take your mouth away, out comes the air. Making a squawking or whistling sound. Now, if you look closely at the mouthpiece. You see a tiny piece of rubber tied across it. The air rushing past this rubber is what makes your balloon sing. Your own music box is made on the same plan. When you breathe out, the air is pushed from your lungs up the pipe that we call the windpipe. In the upper part of this is the little box, a corner of which you can feel with your thumb and finger. Across the box, inside, are stretched two folds of skin and muscle, just as the rubber is stretched across the opening of the balloon, whenever you like. You can blow out your breath between these folds of skin in your voice box. Blow it out in one way, and what happens? You are singing. Blow it out in another way, and you are talking, in still another way. And you are just making a noise perhaps mewing like a kid, or neighing like a horse. If you pull these folds of skin closed together, you can close your windpipe and hold your breath. A cough is made by filling your chest with air, holding the folds closed shut, and then suddenly, letting go. 
how many sounds you can make from one tiny music box. Of course the muscles of the mouth and throat, and the teeth and the tongue all help the voice box as much as they can. One of the best ways to keep your voice clear and strong is to dash cold water every morning on your throat and chest. Then do a rub with a coarse towel till your skin is pink and warm. Gargle your throat with cold water if your voice is husky. Singing is very good for you, too, but don't try to sing too hard. Sing easily and gently, and see how many words you can sing without taking a breath. That is good for the lung bellows as well as the voice box. Always sing in fresh air, but not in cold air. When you talk, try to make all the words clear and distinct. Open your mouth and let the sound out. Once I had a big grown boy in one of my classes who did not open his lips properly when he spoke. So I asked him to prop his mouth open with a piece of stick and then talk. I made him do it until he learned to speak much more clearly. A famous Greek orator, named Demosthenes, who had a habit of mumbling his words, trained himself to speak clearly by putting pebbles in his mouth and then reciting in a loud voice. When you want your voices to sound pleasant, and that is always, of course, you must call on your brain to help. That is your thinking machine. Always think twice before you let anything unpleasant or unkind come out of your voice box. How happy we could make everyone about us if we followed this rule. VIII. Thinking and answering suppose, as you are walking home from school today, you are about to cross the street when you see an automobile coming very fast. What do you do? You stop. Of course, wait for it to go by. And then start on again. Why do you stop? Why? You say, if I didn't. The automobile might run over me. Something of that sort would just flash through your mind, wouldn't it? In the very same second that you first saw the automobile coming. Now, as you know, you think with your brain. But what was it this time that set your brain to thinking? Nothing. You say, I just saw the automobile coming. And that is true in a way. You didn't need anything more than your eyes to tell you. But how did your eyes get the message to your brain? And how did your brain tell your legs to stop walking? We must have in our bodies a kind of telephone system. And that island in fact. Just what we have. Our brain is our central office and our nerves are the wires. Running from all parts of our body to the brain. Carrying messages back and forth. An old man and an old woman lived out on the very edge of a little town. One day their house caught fire and was blazing away before they noticed it. They rushed to their neighbor's telephone and rang up, Central, to tell her to, phone, for the fireman and hose cart. K-ling-a-ling-a-ling, went their bell. But no, Central, answered, and while a man was running to town to get the fireman, the fire got such a good start that the house burned down. You can see from this why we need a central office in good working order. When we use the, phone, all the wires run into the one building. And there must be someone there to receive calls and see that they are sent out to their proper places. In this case, you see, Central should have been at her post to see that the message went on to the engine house. And then the fire would have been put out, double quick. The central office of our body telephone system is just as important and just as necessary to keep in good working order. It would be very little use to have even the keenest of eyes and the sharpest of ears with the readiest of nerve wires to carry their messages into the center of the body, unless we had some organ, or headquarters, therefore switching the messages over to the nerves running to the right muscles to tell them what to do. If the brain, central, should fail in its duty, or get out of order, then the body would be in serious trouble at once. Every day we read in the papers of accidents because somebody didn't think, as well as see or hear, 
People see cars and automobiles coming, but don't give them a thought and so are run down and hurt. They hear the whistle of the engine at the crossing, but drive on just the same, without seeming to have heard it at all. They are absent-minded, the operator in the central office seems to be off-duty, or busy about something else. But if we are going to get on in this world of cars and automobiles and all sorts of unexpected things, we must always have our wits about us, as the saying goes, ready to send the messages out to the muscles in our legs and arms and fingers just as soon as any one of our five senses rings up the central in our brain. Our body wires do not look at all like telephone wires, and the brain, if you could see it, would never suggest to you a central office. The nerves are fine white cords. The smallest ones finer than a hair, and the largest so big and strong that you could lift the body by it, and their branches run all over the body, to the muscles and the blood tubes and the skin and all the other parts. As the picture shows, you have already read how the skin can tell you when you feel warm and when you feel cold and when something hurts you. The brain is a soft wrinkled mass, partly gray and partly white. It is in the head, and because it is very soft and easily hurt, Mother Nature has put around it a strong wall or shell, a bone the skull, or brain box. Feel your head and see how very hard this bone island Solomon, the Hebrew poet king, called it the golden bowl. I suppose he called it a bowl because it is round like one, and golden because it is so precious. People do not often grow well again if the golden bowl is broken or even cracked. Illustration, the nervous system our body telephone the picture shows the brain, or central and the thick nerve cord that runs down through the backbone, and the principal nerves of the back and the arms, the big nerve cable, called the spinal cord, that connects the brain with the rest of the body, and carries all the messages backward and forward, runs down the back and is protected by the backbone, or spine, which is hollow, so that the cord can run down through it, this backbone is jointed together so beautifully, too, that you can bend your back about and stoop over, and carry heavy weights on your back, and yet the bony tube still protects the cord inside. Solomon calls this the silver cord, because it is so white and shiny that it looks like silver. You see, our bodies are full of beautiful as well as wonderful things. Probably sometime when your teacher has asked you to recite a poem you have all learned, someone in the class has answered, I don't remember it, or has stood up and recited the first few lines and then stopped, and thought, and finally had to say, I can't go on. Now what is the matter with this boy, or girl? He looks bright enough, and you will probably remember that he was in the class when you learned the poem. Oh, you say, the poem didn't stay in his head. Remember it didn't stick in his memory, but why didn't it? Some of the messages that the five senses carry to the brain are answered at once, as when we move away from danger, or reach out our hands and help ourselves to butter, or take off a shoe to shake out a pedal. But there are other messages that do not call for an immediate reply, and are just stored away for future use in the big, central office of our body telephone, in what we call our memory, and later, when the proper message is sent in by our eyes or ears, or other sense organs, which reminds us of this message which they sent before, perhaps several weeks, months, or even years ago, it wakes up the old message stored away in the memory, and we say we remember what happened to us or what we learned at that time. So, when your teacher asks you to recite a certain poem, and your ears hear the title or the first line, you recall the rest of the verses and the lesson about it. How many things does the word Christmas wake up out of your memory, or the sight of soldiers marching, 
or the first taste of strawberries in May, you think about a great many things that you never do. Really you are thinking almost all the time you are awake. And besides the messages that Central just stores away for future use, there are a great many messages being carried back and forth along the telephone system all the time that you don't keep track of at all the messages that keep the stomach and the heart and the lungs and everything in your body working together properly. How are we to take care of the telephone lines and central of our nervous system? Whatever you do to build up and help the other parts of the body will help your brain to feel and think and remember, and will help your muscles and nerves to answer promptly and truly whatever the message may be. Plenty of good food, plenty of sleep and fresh air, plenty of play will keep your nerves and brain healthy and growing. Absent today, by keeping well how many times have you been absent this term? No oftener than you were obliged to be, I am sure, for it's almost as bad as being put in Coventry to come back and hear about the good time the rest of the class have been having, and feel that you weren't in it. Of course, sometimes, when you are not well, you have to be absent, it is best that you should be, but it is better still to know how to keep well. So you won't have to be absent, and won't have to miss any good times in work or play all your life. You'll remember that all the parts of your body are fed and ventilated by the blood, which is pumped to them from the heart. So long as this blood is pure and has plenty of oxygen in it, it does good to every part of the body to which it comes. But the moment that poisons and dirt and waste begin to pile up in the blood, then the blood that comes to the different parts of the body may be poisonous to them, instead of helpful. Such poisons in the blood are particularly harmful to the nerves and the brain, because these are among the most delicate and sensitive of all the structures in the body. Often we think of the body as a beautiful house. Now a house does not look very beautiful when it has dust and crumbs on the floor, buckets of greasy dishwater in the kitchen, and smoke from the furnace in the air. You could not live in such a place. Remember the smoke must go out up the chimney. The dust and crumbs must be swept away. The dirty water must be drained off in pipes, the house must be not only cleaned, but kept clean all the time. This is true of your body, too. Now Mother Nature sends the smoke from the body out through the lungs, and the crumbs and solid dirt down and out by means of the food tube. But the waste water how does she get rid of that? The waste water, you'll remember, is in the blood vessels, mixed with the blood. How does she get it out of the blood? She sends it through three magic cleaners, or strainers, the skin the liver, the kidneys, that the skin is a strainer, you already know, for you know how the skin lets out the waste water in perspiration, or sweat, and how important it is that we keep the little holes of the strainer open and clean, and you know, too, that most of the water that passes out of the body goes first to the kidneys, the liver, however, is the largest cleaning machine of all and has to work very hard, the blood comes to it full of foods and poisons, This wonderful cleaner picks out the food it needs and takes up many of the poisons, too. What does it do with the poisons, you ask? Some of them it changes into good food, and others it makes harmless and sends away down the food tube in a fluid called bile. If we are strong and healthy, the liver has the power to kill many of the disease germs that get into the body. That is why sometimes, when you have had a chance to take mumps or grip or some other catching disease, you don't take it. Your liver kills the germs, or seeds. See how carefully Mother Nature has planned that we may be clean inside as well as outside. Illustration, the position of the liver compare this with the diagram on page 26. And see how the liver partly overlaps the stomach. But you must not overwork your liver. If you do, 
it may become too tired to do anything at all. Then all these poisons will spread through the body, the skin and the whites of the eyes will grow yellow, and you will be what is called, bilious. When this happens, the poisons go to your brain, too, and make you feel sad, your tongue looks white instead of pink, and you have a disagreeable taste in your mouth. Your happiness depends very much on your liver. How shall I keep my liver rested and in good working order? By eating only sound, wholesome, pure food, and avoiding dirty milk, by going to the toilet regularly every morning after breakfast, by keeping your windows open and avoiding the poisons and disease germs in foul air. Then, if you run and play and work out of doors, so that the muscles move a great deal and you breathe in plenty of oxygen to keep the body fires burning briskly, that will help a great deal. Last summer up in the mountains I saw a big log close by the path. It had been sawed across so that the end was smooth. It was brown and weather-stained. So of course I knew that it had lain there a long time. How surprised I was to see a pile of fine fresh sawdust on the ground beside it. As I came nearer, I saw piece after piece of sawdust dropping, 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 one after the other, from a hole in the log. I looked into the hole, and what do you think I saw? Hundreds of little brown ants, busy as could be carrying the sawdust, throwing it out, and then scurrying back to get some more, several feet inside the log. Other ants were cutting the sawdust, hollowing out the rooms of their house, and in another part others were getting food for the workers, and still others taking care of the baby ants. They were all helping one another, and whatever one ant did helped all the rest. That is the way with the parts, or organs, of the body. When one part works well, it helps all the rest, when one squad of tiny cells in the muscles or liver or heart is doing its duty, like the little ants, it helps all the other cell workers in the body to keep healthy. If you eat proper food, you help not only your stomach but your liver, too, for it has not so many poisons to get rid of. While you are helping your stomach and your liver, you are helping your heart and your brain, and so on. So what you do to help one helps all. There are, however, some poisons that the liver cannot get rid of, but these the skin or the kidneys carry away. Have you ever seen kidney beans? The bean is the shape of a kidney. The kidneys are in the middle of your back packed close to your backbone, on a line with your waist, this is a picture of them, do you see the little tubes leading down from the kidneys, carrying the waste water and poison down into a kind of bag, the walls of this bag, called the bladder, will stretch, and it will hold about a pint of waste water, from the bladder a tube carries the water down out of the body, illustration, the kidneys and the bladder the large tubes are the artery and the vein that carry blood to and from this part of the body, You can help your kidney strainers by emptying your bladder at certain times each day. Some children have to empty the bladder much oftener than others, but most children can form what we call regular habits about it, by trying to do it at the same times each day. If you are quite strong, five times a day is often enough, when you first get up, at recess, at noon, at four o'clock, and at bedtime. Many children do it much oftener than this but as they grow older and the muscles grow stronger, they slowly outgrow this trouble. If they try to form the right habits, there are many diseases of the kidneys, for, like the liver, they are sometimes overworked and do not carry the poisons from the body. You are helping your kidneys when you drink plenty of fresh clean water every day, and also when you play or work hard enough to get into a good perspiration, for, as perspiring carries out some of the poisons, it leaves less for the kidneys to pour out. You ought to get into a good perspiration at least once every day, or better, three or four times. 
if you wish to keep healthy, the Bible says, in the sweat of thy brow shalt thou eat bread, and you must earn health and happiness at the same price, I, I, some foes to fight you have seen that sitting or sleeping in rooms where the air is bad, or eating the wrong kind of food, or working after you are badly tired, will poison your blood and hinder the proper working of that beautiful machine, your body, these poisons are made inside your body, and you can prevent them by living healthfully and wholesomely, but there are other poisons, which may get into the blood from outside the body, and while it is best for you not to think too much about these, or to worry over dangers that may never come, yet it is well to know just enough about some of them to be able to keep out of their way, as far as possible, the most dangerous form of poisons from outside the body are those made by the germs of some rather common diseases, which, because you can, catch, them from someone else who has them, are called, catching, or infectious, or contagious, some of the germs of these, catching, diseases, like the germs of typhoid fever, of which we have spoken in connection with our drinking water, are carried in the water or milk that we drink, or upon the food that we eat, and one of the worst carriers of germs is the ordinary household fly, not so very many years ago, people did not know that dirt makes people sick, you see, they did not know anything about the disease seeds germs that grow so fast in dirt, they did not like to have flies about, because flies look so dirty and bite people and crawl over things and spot them, but nowadays, we will not have flies about because we know that they have been in dirty places where disease germs live, and that one little fly can carry thousands and thousands of these germs on his feet, have you ever looked at a fly through a magnifying glass or under a microscope, if you haven't, try it sometime, you will see that his legs are covered with little hairs, and it is on these little hairs that the germs lodge, they are too small for you to see except with a very powerful glass, but scientists have proved that they are there, and they have found that there are always typhoid germs among them, did you ever see a fly wipe his feet before he came into the house, Mumber indeed, and he goes anywhere he pleases, over the bread and into the cream, yet he was born in dirt and bred in dirt, and he lives in dirty places all the time he is not crawling over your clean things and spoiling them, flies are hatched from eggs, and these eggs can hatch only in piles of dirt, such as heaps of manure, or places where garbage and scraps from the house are dumped or thrown, we call the common fly the domestic, or house, fly, because he lives only in the neighborhood of houses and barnyards where heaps of manure and piles of dirt are allowed to gather, when the fly first hatches from the egg, it is a little white, wriggling worm called a maggot, like those that some of you may have seen in decaying meat or fish or cheese, the maggots must have decaying substances to eat and live upon while they are growing, and this is why the eggs are laid in manure heaps and garbage piles, it takes the maggot about five days to grow to its full size, and then it turns into a chrysalis, that island it is shut up in a kind of case that it has spun for itself, like the cocoon of the silkworm or the caterpillar, in about five days more it breaks out of this cocoon and appears as a fly with wings, so, you see, the eggs must stay in that manure heap about two weeks if they are to hatch, if, within that time, the manure is carted away and thrown out somewhere where it will dry, the little unhatched flies will be killed, or prevented from hatching, all we have to do, then, to be entirely rid of flies about our houses is to see that the heaps of manure and all piles of cans and garbage are taken away at least once a week, if manure heaps or piles of dirt cannot, for any reason, be carried away as often as this, then they can be sprinkled with something that is poisonous to flies, such as arsenic or kerosene, this will kill the maggots, 
If we keep every kind of waste and scraps from the house, and all the manure from the barn and the pig pen and the hen house carefully cleaned up, or sprinkled with some poison, we shall get rid of flies entirely and never need to use screens at the doors and windows, until we do this. It is best to put screens at the doors and windows in the summertime, and particularly to screen carefully any place where food is kept or cooked, for we know that a great many cases of typhoid and of other diseases of the stomach and bowels, such as summer sickness, or summer diarrhea, and cholera morbus, are carried to our food by the dirty feet of flies. Many of the germs of catching diseases most of them, in fact are carried in the air, in scales that have rubbed off the skin of the person sick with them or in spray that they have coughed into the air, or in saliva that they have spit upon the floor. There is one sickness of this kind that I ought to tell you about, because it kills so many thousand people here in our own country every year. We sometimes call it the Great White Plague. Its common name is consumption, and the doctors call it tuberculosis. I dare say you have heard of it and wondered what it meant. A few years ago people thought it could not be cured. They thought that children had it because their parents had had it before them. But now, the cheering thing about it is that we have found that Mother Nature herself can cure it with fresh air and sunshine and wholesome food. We have found, too, that people catch it from others who are sick with it, and need not have it just because their parents did. This means, then, that thousands of people who have it need not die, but can be cured simply by living and sleeping out of doors and eating plenty of milk, eggs, and meat nuts and fruit. There are camps for them in almost every state in the Union now. The fresh air gives them such a big appetite that they can eat more than most healthy people, and they soon get strong and well. If all the people who now have consumption were taken out into the country and cured, there would be no one left for the rest of us to catch it from, and the disease would soon die. Someday our boards of health will decide to do this, and then consumption will become as rare as smallpox is now and will kill only a few hundred people a year in the United States instead of 150.000 every year, as it does now. People and governments are giving great sums of money, not only to cure the people who now have consumption, but to do something towards stopping the disease by keeping things so clean and people so strong that no one will ever have it. Even little children can help to fight and kill this great white plague, and I'll tell you how. We know that, when people have consumption in their lungs, What they cough and spit out of their mouths and blow out of their noses we call it sputum has the germs, or seeds, of the disease in it. So, to keep other people from catching the disease, they must hold something before the face when they cough, and they must catch the sputum in paper newspapers or paper napkins are very good for this and burn it, for burning kills the germs. Then, too, they must not kiss other people on the mouth, and others must not kiss them. They must use their own drinking cups and never lend or borrow a cup, you see, you can look out for these things, yourselves, when grown people kiss you, just turn your cheek to them, instead of your mouth, your cheek will not carry anything to your windpipe and lungs, and be sure to carry your own drinking cup, or, better still, make the one for which you already have the pattern, every time you need one, this sounds easy enough, and it island too, but sometimes people don't know when they have this plague, And of course they do not feel that they must be careful. What is to be done? Then, if people won't take care of themselves, then the government has to make health laws to protect them. And the health officers have to see that the laws are obeyed. In many of the states and cities, 
laws have been made so that nobody is allowed to spit on the sidewalk or in the cars or in any other public place, and common drinking cups are forbidden at all park fountains and at the water coolers in schools and trains and stations and other public places. You ought to know about these things, because, as I have just said, other sicknesses, too, are carried about in the nose and mouth, grip, pneumonia or lung fever, and what we call colds are caught in exactly the same way. We used to think we caught them by being chilled, but we are much more likely to take them by being shut up in a hot, stuffy room with other people who already had them. Mother Nature never gave us such things in her beautiful, clean outdoors. We must wear clothes enough to keep us warm when we go out, and have bedclothes enough to keep us warm while we sleep, but we need not be afraid of catching any sickness from the clean outside air, either by day or by night. Drafts are not dangerous, except when our blood is already full of poisons and germs from foul air. Of course it is foolish even for strong, healthy people to run any risks that can be avoided. And there is one other thing that you should keep on the watch against doing, and that island touching or kissing or playing with other children who may be sick. It is better not even to sit in the same room with them if you can avoid it. Many of the infectious diseases and nearly three-fourths of all the diseases that children have are infectious are caught, as we have seen, from germs that are carried in the air. That is one reason why so many infectious diseases are likely to begin with running at the nose, or sneezing, or cold in the head or sore throat, the germs, having been breathed in with the air, catch on the sides of the nostrils or at the back of the throat, and start inflammation and soreness wherever they land, this is just the way that measles, scarlet fever, chicken pox, whooping cough, and diphtheria begin, nearly all colds in the head, and sore throats with coughing, are infectious, so the best thing to do whenever you have a bad cold in the head, or a sore throat, is to keep out in the open air as much as you can, until it is better, of course, a cold is not such a serious thing in itself, but, if it is neglected, it may lead to some very dangerous troubles, particularly to inflammation of the lung, 